Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to reintroduce to you now. Amy Berger is a returning guest on our show. Be sure to check out her first two appearances on our podcast on episode 47 and episode 68 of Boundless Body Radio. Amy Berger is a U.S. Air Force veteran and certified nutrition specialist who specializes in using low-carbohydrate and ketogenic nutrition to help people reclaim their vitality through eating delicious foods and showing them that getting well doesn't require starvation, deprivation, or living at the gym. She blogs at www.tuitnutrition.com, where she writes about a wide range of health and nutrition-related topics. She has written several books, including The Alzheimer's Antidote, The Stall Slayer, which we will be discussing today, and her latest book, End Your Carb Confusion, which she wrote with Dr. Eric Westman. She is an international speaker on low-carb and ketogenic nutrition, has authored several peer-reviewed journal articles, and serves on the review committee for the certification examination for nutrition specialists. Amy Berger, what an absolute honor it is to welcome you back to Balanced Body Radio. Thank you. Happy to be here again. Happy to have you. You are somebody that I followed in this space for a very, very long time. Um, definitely very influential in my learning and understanding of low-carbohydrate diets. And I, we've talked about this before, but I, I have to bring it up every time. The article that you wrote about gluconeogenesis, I, it's one of those that stuck with me. I had to read it like four times for it to sink in. And it's, it's I know exactly where I was on the train from my house to a University of Utah football game, sitting on this on this tracks train, reading this article, like absolutely fascinated by understanding how the body uses, you know, protein and recycles protein and makes carbohydrate. It was blowing my mind that like, yeah, the body needs glucose, but you don't need to eat glucose. So like blew up my brain. Well, I'm glad I'm glad it was that memorable. Um, it's it's. I haven't written a blog post in a long, long time, but I think I used to be well known for like very, very long posts. And that's, that's a good example, but I do, I do think it's like really informative for people to go through it. So. Yeah, it definitely really helped my understanding. So I very much appreciate that about you. Um, as we mentioned in the introduction, we're going to be talking a little bit about the stall slayer today, one of your books. That's wonderful. I love it by the way. Um, but before we do, there's been a bit of, uh, kind of a, a conundrum coming up in Alzheimer's research that I would love to talk about. Something came out in, uh, you know, the last few weeks, fraud and all kinds of different collusions, it looks like, and, and involved with Alzheimer's research, which I know you're very much into. So I'm wondering if you know much about that and can comment on that. Yeah, um, there was some some big buzz several weeks ago where some of the initial research that was done on, on amyloid, these amyloid plaques and Alzheimer's disease was revealed to be totally fraudulent. And um, I, to be completely honest with you and your listeners and viewers, I didn't really read a lot of the articles where they were exposing this fraud because my stance all along, and I, I wrote my book, The Alzheimer's Antidote, over five years ago. It was published in March, 2017. I can't believe it, but... um. I was not supposed so I, I said something on Twitter to the effect of I'm not shocked at all that this this fraud, you know, that this all the, the the amyloid stuff has been revealed to be fraudulent. I'm much more surprised that the amyloid hypothesis ever gained as much traction as it did. Because when you look at the the you know molecular mechanisms of the amyloid buildup versus people who don't have a lot of amyloid buildup amyloid is so very clearly not the cause of alzheimer's and never was and there's just no i mean there's a whole chapter in my alzheimer's book on amyloid and and the 
um, fallacies of the amyloid hypothesis and, and how much of the amyloid perspective doesn't fit with how the disease actually develops and progresses. And so I'm, like I said, I'm far more surprised that the amyloid, they call it the amyloid hypothesis, that that ever got as much traction as it did in the research world. Um, Every single anti-amyloid drug that's ever been developed has been a failure they do nothing to reduce, you know, to, to stop the progression of Alzheimer's, let alone reverse it at, at best. It slows it down a tiny bit. And even that's pretty rare. Um, and so that alone should tell us, okay, our scientists have done a bang up job. They've created drugs that do reduce the formation of amyloid, but reducing the formation of amyloid has never done anything to positively impact the the disease process. So, hey, maybe it's not the amyloid, huh? And um, I, I can send you a link. We can post it in the, in the notes. Maybe I've I've written an article or two about the flaws of the amyloid hypothesis and just how just how much it fails to match up with with the clinical observations of the actual disease. So, um, it's. I don't know why anyone is surprised. Frankly, it's 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 a shame. It's tragic, but I, I'm not surprised. I mean, yeah. Again, the thing that surprises me is that as many scientists ever bought into this as as did. Yeah, that's so interesting. I remember when we chatted about Alzheimer's in episode 68, and we mentioned in the introduction, we talked specifically about Alzheimer's, and I asked you about that, and you were highly suspicious of that research even then. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, so that was going to be one of my questions. Knowing what you know now, after the book has been out five years, is there anything that you now need to go back and change in the book, or are you just kind of sitting around saying like, yeah, I, I kind of feel pretty good about everything I wrote? I hate to say it, but I'll be completely honest with you. I don't think there's anything in that book that has proven to be incorrect. I, I think everything in it is still accurate. If anything, the research that has been done since it was published only confirms that much more. What I initially said, the connections between you know, systemic insulin resistance, glucose intolerance, diabetes, metabolic syndrome as massive, massive risk factors for cognitive decline. Um, probably the only thing I would do is put put even more emphasis on the other things that affect cognitive function as we age. Well, I, I guess this is dietary, but it's not just that glucose insulin angle. I would, I, I think I, I did have a whole chapter in there on B12 and myelin, but I would kind of really hammer home how many older people are either B12 deficient or like subclinically insufficient. They're not like deficient, but they, they don't have enough. They're just, they, it's an insufficiency and that can absolutely affect cognition. And um, I, I do have a whole chapter in there on cholesterol and statin drugs, but I still think that the impact of, of statin drugs on the brain is radically underappreciated. Um, not all statins affect cognition because it's it seems to be only the ones that cross the blood brain barrier. So there are certain types of statins that don't really get into the brain and some that do, or maybe some that do more easily. Those seem to have more of those cognitive effects, but um, that that cholesterol, and, and I'm not a medical doctor, please everyone, this, this isn't medical information. I'm not telling you to discontinue any drugs you're taking, but I think people need to be much more aware 
that that is absolutely a potential side effect of some of these drugs. So, but, but other than that, I don't think anything that I wrote five years ago has been, you know, proven false. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I love that you took that approach and, and your carb confusion with Dr. Westman. You guys don't have any scientific references in the back, like most books would. And I asked you about that when we talked about that book and you said, we didn't say anything controversial. We like, there's nothing to back up here. And I love that approach. I think that's brilliant. Well, in my Alzheimer's book does have a huge reference right. section, but the, in end your carb confusion, that was Dr. Westman's choice, not mine. I would have preferred to have some references, but you know, we yeah, we didn't say anything that's not just a fact of human physiology. And um, you know, Dr. Westman said, "Where's the references in in my brain in in a biology textbook in my thousands of clinic you know files?" And I think the reason that he said that is because that's what Dr. Robert Atkins said to him in 1998 when he was a young doctor and he wanted to learn about this. He visited Dr. Atkins at his clinic and, you know, Dr. Westman's a researcher first and foremost. And he said, well, where's the studies? Like, how come there's no studies on this? And Dr. Atkins said, why would I do a study? I, I know what would happen. Look at all the files, you know, like his file camera, whatever. I've treated thousands of patients for 30 years. I don't need a study. And I think, um, Dr. Westman disagreed and he did studies, but like, I think that's how he feels at this point. It's so overwhelming that he didn't, he didn't feel like he had to back himself up. He's like, I've been doing this for 20 years. I, I know how this works. So yeah. Yeah. It's very yeah. interesting. And, and Atkins was a practicing doctor. He wasn't a researcher and he actually kind of got smoked in, in different debates with, I want to say like Dean Ornish back in the day, because Dean was using all of his studies and Atkins had practical advice. He's like, I, well, I don't really know the studies, but look at how many people I'm making better. Like I'd rather go with that. That's kind of like my work with personal training is like, this isn't a randomized controlled trial, but all of these people are losing fat. What do you want me to do? I'm paid to get results, like whatever, whenever I'm, whenever I'm considering yeah. like research and I'm looking around at what studies are done and whatever, tell me if you agree or disagree with this. I, when I, when I find something I really like, the first thing that I see is that it's like Occam's razor. It's like, this is the most simple explanation that makes the most sense. We don't need to get too complex with this until we elim eliminate the most simple thing that it could possibly be. So something that says our current diets, you know, that we've changed vastly in the last hundred, 200 years might be more, you know, around the cause of like type two diabetes or obesity, I'm more likely to think that's more truthful. And the other thing that I like to look for is what, what, what studies are done that check multiple boxes and close up other arguments versus an argument that says, you know, LDL is bad or something. And, and now I have like a lot more questions. When I think of like Dave Feldman's work on cholesterol, it, it explains so many different things really elegantly and makes a lot of sense. Like Mickey Bendor, his work with paleoarchaeology. It's like, this is why our shoulders the way they are. Our, our stomach acidity is the way that it is. And it, it, it's like, oh, that, that makes sense on so many different levels. Would you agree or disagree with that? No, I think, I think I, I agree. I mean, I, I'm torn between thinking that the simplest explanation usually is the right one because I think it usually is, but I also think it's an explanation that seems simple, but then it has like 84 different, you know, biochemical mechanisms that make it look simple at the high level. Um, like, like, okay, just for example, cut your carbohydrate intake. That's all you have to do. Go on a low carb diet. 
and you could lose weight. You, your blood sugar comes down, blood pressure comes down, insulin comes down, gout goes away, skin tags go away, all the stuff. Because of the like 68 different things that happen when you cut your carbs, right? So you do one thing that's a very simple thing to do, but it has all of these little effects. My, um, I guess where I get annoyed sometimes is when people are trying to be like, well, which, which is it? Is it because of the PPAR gamma or the mTOR or because of this mechanism or this PI3K? And I'm like, oh my God, like, but, but that's for the researchers and the academics to define. That's their role. That's their career. My role is to tell people what to buy at the supermarket. Right. You know, the people that come to me don't want to know about, I don't know what, a- a- AMP K and cyclic AMP and all these molecules. They don't want that. They, how do I lose weight, Amy? I'm doing keto and it's not working. Help. Like that's so um, it's. I think our, our role, probably both you and me, to some extent, is to understand the science to the extent that we want to, you know, to know why this works, but then translate into something really easy and realistic for people to do in the real world. Yeah, that's right. That is such a really great point and a really great distinction. I think that people you and I work with would think, okay, I've heard about keto and low carb people lose weight. So let me just punch this into Google and have the first thing pop up, be like, here's the 40 best diets of 2022. And we've ranked them all and keto's at the very bottom, you know, at 37, 38, when the volumetrics diet is up there. I don't know what that is. Slim fast weight watchers, Jenny Craig are all up there. Like some of these diets like people haven't even mentioned in like 20 years. And that those are the people that we deal with. And those are the people that get really confused about this, which again is why I love your work. And I love that book so much and your carb confusion. It's a really great one to buy for people and give to them because it's, it's so, it's so simple. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. I mean, we, I, I say this all the time. We wrote the book that we would want to have if we were brand new to this. If, if I can't imagine being new to low carb diets right now, because when I started, Facebook didn't even exist. YouTube, Instagram, Reddit, none of that existed. I mean, the internet existed. Like I'm not that old, but like, um, you know, there was, there were those like old school message boards you know, the old school like forums and, and that's, and, and there was the Atkins book, there was protein power and an old school book called the Schwartzbein principle. If anyone out there listening is old enough to remember that it's a, a really older one. Um, and I, if I was new now, I don't, I have no idea where I would even start. There's so much. So we wrote the like, start here and, and you could start there and end there. end there. You don't need anything else, but that's, a place to start. And then if you want later on to like pull all the bells and whistles into other different approaches, fine. But if you're brand new and you are like, ah, this keto thing, it's so crazy. We, we tried to write a book that would cut right to the, to the, you know, the kernels of truth. Definitely accomplish that. You definitely accomplish that. It is a great book and one that I highly recommend. Um, since it's been a minute, since you've been on our show, can you remind us how you did find the low carbohydrate diet? And this way of eating, and I want to say, I, th- I believe it was Twitter recently where you posted a picture of you running with like 20 years ago. And my goodness, like you, you, you are a different human now than you were then. Yeah, um, I, I think I was healthy back then. I just wasn't lean. I wasn't slim. I mean, I was, the, the picture was me about 
200 feet from the finish line of a marathon. <laughs> and um, so I, that was the, the story. I mean, I had been chubby all my life. I, I, I never had morbid obesity, but I was chubby most of my um, childhood and young adult life. And I thought I was eating a healthy diet. I mean, I wasn't perfect, but like I ate my whole grain cereal and skim milk and I never used butter, you know, always light margarine on my whole wheat toast. And I thought I was so healthy and self-righteous when I would get the um, frozen fried chicken tenders and I would bake them instead of frying them, you know, nice. like and, and the, the Orida frozen French fries, I would bake them and not fry. Um, and I couldn't lose weight no matter what I did. And I, I spent years beating myself up and feeling like I, I'm a failure. What's wrong with me? I must need to work out even more. And finally, I, I found the Atkins diet. I found the low carb diet and it worked. And it, in case anyone out there is struggling to stick with this, so did I. I definitely didn't do it, you know, the first time and did it forever. I started and stopped and started and stopped many times until it was just the way that I live. Um, but what I love is that when done properly, you get to eat delicious food. You don't have to starve. You don't have to force yourself to go hungry and you can lose weight and, and not only lose weight. I mean, for me, I personally started this for weight loss, but you know, we know this diet literally reverses type two diabetes. It's excellent for type one diabetes. Now you'll always need to take insulin if you have type one, but you can massively reduce the dose and massively reduce the wild fluctuations in blood sugar. I mean, it's good for lipedema, which nothing else helps. All the women that have lipedema out there, um, PCOS, gout, hypertension, like you, non-alcoholic fatty liver. So this this way of eating is just incredible. I mean, I, I got into it for weight loss and that's one of the things I help people with, but this is so powerful for so many other things. Um, I think it's like, so, so many people get into it for weight loss and they're almost surprised by all the other things that happened that they weren't expecting. Like, oh my gosh, my heartburn is gone. Or, oh, I haven't had a headache in three weeks. And so all this, in, in fact, Dr. Westman, and, and if you, did you know um, Christopher Palmer, the psychiatrist yeah, from amazing. Harvard? We've had him on, he's amazing. So he's dynamite. Um, they, they wrote a couple of papers together, but one of Dr. Westman's patients years and years ago did keto for weight loss and type two diabetes. And as an unexpected little side effect, her lifelong schizophrenia disappeared. She had been hearing voices, having hallucinations her whole life, and it was gone. Incredible. So, and, and so now, now there's a, a few more papers about keto and schizophrenia, but it's just amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. I am so looking forward to his book coming out later on this year. It's going to be awesome. His research is incredible. And yeah, you're right. Like the, the number of stories we've heard about weird rashes I used to get, or my hands used to always crack and now they don't, and my skin is better and now I get a tan and all these crazy stories that people don't expect. You're right. It's, it's almost like expected now. I just started with somebody new this week and they were telling me how they couldn't go 
more than like two or three hours without food and a snack. And I was just like, just, I want you to text me the first time you forget to eat. You're going to have a time that you think is impossible now in the next week or two or three where you're going to forget about eating. Text me when that happens because you almost take it for granted. If you've been, you know, in this world for a while, living an awesome life and skipping meals if you want and like eating what, like you said, delicious food, you forget what your life was like. It was absolutely miserable. I would never go back. Yeah, I, um, a couple of things. My, my best friend was visiting a few weeks ago. My best friend of over 35 years. I love her, but she's a carb eater. Now she's very, very slim and healthy, but she gets hungry fairly often. And I would tell her, listen, I eat once or twice a day. So if you need to eat, tell me and we'll stop and you can eat and I'll, I'll get a drink or something. I'll get a beverage. Um, or if we're at home, just go grab your own food. Like, don't wait for me because I'm probably only, I, I, I typically have one large meal, like a, a later meal dinner. And I have maybe a small lunch, a light meal kind of earlier in the day and sometimes something else, but that's pretty standard for me. And, um, I think like you were saying, you know, so many people who couldn't go more than two or three hours between a meal or, or couldn't couldn't make it 90 minutes without snacking. I really believe that so much anxiety, panic attacks, and road rage are just unrecognized hypoglycemia. Maybe not all of it, a huge portion of it. Great people like because I've I've felt that, right? We've all felt that. Like that, you just want to like murder somebody, but I, but you might not feel hungry. You just feel super, super wound up, really irritable. And, and like, you're not normally like that. You're normally like calm, but you, you want to kill somebody. I think it's hypoglycemia. I think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. We pointed this out before the soda shop down the street, the, the line of cars that wraps around the building every single day happens. If you Google it, you can, you can check like the most popular times at different stores. It's always between meals. It's always at like two or 3 PM in the afternoon. And it's always at like seven or eight at night. And it's like, why are people craving sugar? If presumably they just ate two or three hours ago, it's the crap that you're eating for your meals. That isn't giving you satiety. So, of course, you're going to be craving sugar. And, yeah, you can feel that, like, aggressive energy of people around you, you especially in a car. I'm wondering – I know you would have done anything for your dear friend who is in town, but how terribly terribly, um, inconvenient was that for you? Like, how much time did you spend thinking about food and eating and snacking versus your normal day? Um, That's a good question, but I have to say we did pretty well only because – I picked her up at the airport and on the way to my apartment from there, we stopped at the store and she got some stuff. Cause she know, like she knew, you know, I, I maybe told her ahead of time. So we got, um, she got like a bunch of, you know, Turkey from the deli counter and some cheese. And I forget what else. Some, um, I mean, she eats chips, so she got a bag of chips. Um, so if, if we're sitting at home, she can just go and, you know, eat a few slices of Turkey or like have a, you know, make herself a sandwich. She did get like a small loaf of bread, make herself a sandwich. Um, so it wasn't like we were out a lot and she had to, um, you know, we had to constantly stop, but it was, interesting that she she definitely thought about having food on hand more more than I did I was like well whatever I, I'll be fine if we just don't eat till later um and it's not it's not that I never get hungry but I I've learned to um my friend Casey well, Casey, well female Casey Casey Durango yeah, <laughs> calls she's great. It, um, yeah. she says push the peckishness like let let the hunger build. You don't have to reach for something the second you feel a hunger pang. So I've learned to be okay with being hungry and like, 
let it build. And once I'm really hungry, I'll sit down for a meal rather than getting a little snack or grazing. And sometimes I snack just depending, but um, that, and I, I will say it was, it was interesting because probably at least twice while she was here, I did eat, even though I wasn't very hungry, just because, you know, she was eating. And even though I tell other people, you know, you don't have to eat just because people around you were eating. It would feel a little awkward to just sit there. And I knew like, okay, if she eats now, she's not going to be hungry until a little bit. What if I get hungrier sooner? Cause I haven't eaten. So um, it's, eh, it's, it's interesting when yeah. you are around car. I'm, I, Cause I live alone normally and I, I work from home. So it's, it is interesting to be with someone that eats carbs and eats more frequently throughout yeah. the day. You just totally take it for granted what life was like before finding all this. And I'm kind of like you, like I, I wasn't seeking low carbohydrate diets or ketogenic diets and what I was doing in my profession, training people and doing nutrition coaching. But I finally I found something that worked really well for a great majority of people. In fact, I, to even say a majority it really worked for everybody that, that, did it correctly. I, I can feel pretty confident saying that today. And, and we were kind of talking offline about this weight loss contest that we were forced to do as a company and how we changed it over time. And we just gave people low carbohydrate meal plans. And with that, we would do some seminars to kind of help people understand. So the opening seminar, when somebody would sign up for the 60 day challenge, we would, you know, tell them what this was, why we were doing something different than everybody else. And, you know, just trust the process for now. We're going to give you some meal plans, eat these, eat these until you're really full, feed them to your family. They're great. They're simple. Um, and they were low carbohydrate. And, and anyway, that ended up working pretty well, but we found over time that we needed to add another seminar that was about four or five weeks in because people were getting really good results and oftentimes would kind of slow down with the things they started with. All of a sudden the results weren't, weren't going as well. And so I'm wondering for you writing the stall slayer, why did you decide to write that book? And did you discover the same kind of a thing? Um, yeah, I guess the. I, I saw a little less of that. I think for me, it was more people that were doing low carb or keto diets or what they thought was a low carb or keto diet. So that's part of the issue there too. They thought they were doing keto and, but it, it never really worked all that well. They either never lost a bunch of weight or all the other good things that were supposed to happen weren't happening or people did really well at first, but then kind of like you said, oh, it's, not working anymore. Like what, what just happened. And, um, it doesn't have to be that way. You know, I think with a few simple tweaks, it's, I hate the word easy because sometimes it's not easy to break a fat loss stall or to make a change. But I think there are some like very basic things that you can look at that probably will get things moving. And if they don't, then you just have to dig even further. Yeah. So simple, not being the same thing is easy. There's a few things you can follow. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Yeah. So, so first of all, how would you define a stall? And, and I want to, I want to kind of make a caveat to that too, because a lot of people, they say they want weight loss and they have a scale, but they actually don't want weight loss. They want fat loss. And a scale is the wrong tool for telling you whether you're losing fat. If that's the case, unless it's doing something like measuring your skeletal muscle mass and measuring your body fat percentage. So tell us a little bit about, um, you know, whether or not scale is a really good tool or not. Yeah. Oh, you are speaking my language. Um, 
the the book everyone is called the stall slayer you can get it at stallslayer.com it's a it's a pdf or well you can also get it on amazon as a paperback or a kindle version if you want those but um yeah the the first of all when people talk about a stall that's not like oh it's been 3 days and i haven't lost any weight no we're talking about several weeks or months where not only has there been no change to your actual weight, but your measurements aren't changing. Like, here's the thing, people. If your scale weight hasn't changed much, but you're, you've you just gone to the next notch on your belt or like your skirt is falling off, guess what? You're not stalled. <laughs> you know, like Casey brought up, like the, you, you brought, because I'm talking to the audience, you, know, you brought up the most the most important point we don't want to lose weight. We want to feel good in our skin. We want to look good. We want to wear the clothes we we want to wear, or we want to, you know, fit into the clothes we want to wear kind of thing. And it is entirely possible to have no change on the scale or very little, but have a pretty dramatic change in your size and shape. And women have such a hard time wrapping their brain around this. They're so uh, tethered to the number on the scale. And I cannot tell you, I mean, you probably see this even more than I do as a trainer because your people are putting on muscle with you. How, how many women come back to me and say, well, I'm not losing weight, but I, you know, I'm down a size. Well, who cares about the scale then, you know? Um, but yeah, it's th- that body composition is so important because people, you, they, they think they're, again, they think they're stalled, but they're not. Because if your size and shape are changing, then even if you're not losing weight, you are not in a stall with regard to your body changing. Yeah, totally. And there's a lot that goes into that. Like like most people just talk about fat and they talk about muscle, but we're talking also about bone density or the strength of your connective tissue. Like there's a lot to lean mass that includes muscle, but goes above and beyond that. And you want those benefits. You want really strong bones. And when you start eating the right way, that's something that happens. Yeah, I um, I don't know if I've shared this story or not on your podcast before, or maybe I don't know if you've ever had Megan Ramos on from the fasting method, but um, she told a story once where they were working with a lady, and I think I think she was on like a low carb diet. I don't know if it was strict keto or not, but she was on a low carb diet. She was um, exercising. I think she was lifting weights or something. She was basically doing all the right things. She had a coach, like she really was faithful to the program. She was really doing it honestly. And she was gaining weight and she was so upset. She was horrified. And Megan said to her, all right, look, let's get a DEXA scan. Let's see what's really going on here. Let's measure the body comp. Turns out previously the woman had had either osteoporosis or osteopenia and she had gained substantial bone mass. So yes, she had gained weight, but she gained critical needed bone mass like she didn't gain fat that's people don't appreciate that the number they see on the scale is not your body fat it's the sum total of everything in your like you said the bones the muscle the connective tissue the organs every single thing inside you it's so um it's and your it, mass pressing against the earth and that's that's like it's your gravity and this is why you know you in, in the art and science of low carbohydrate living, one of the best books out there, in my opinion, by, yeah, you, you got it right there by Dr. Svinian Volek. Well, it's, it's the other one, the first one, the art and science living. This one is performance. The, yep. But there, so their other companion book, 
they said something like the human body fluctuates and regulates fluid balance up and down as much as as um one to two pounds a day. So they said we live in like a four pound wide gray zone. So you could just be holding on to water to the tune of two or three or four pounds from day to day. And people freak out about this. I'm like, if you weighed something one day and woke up and you're three pounds heavier the next day, that doesn't mean you gained three pounds of fat. You're probably just holding on to water for any number. For women, it's the cycle. I know when it's humid out, like I'm, that's my window there. I have rings that sometimes like fall off me that when it's humid out, I can't even get them on because my fingers swell up so bad. Yeah. So. Yeah, totally. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> that was a really good point. What What would be your better way to measure somebody's um, progress? If they don't have access to DEXA or some kind of a scale like InBody that measures your body composition, what things would you like to be tracking? Is it the measurements? I think measurements are a good one, but I wouldn't take them like every week because I, I just don't think it changes that fast. That's something I would measure maybe every month. I mean, you, you could do it every week, but I just wouldn't expect a big change every week. Um, I think the, find an article of clothing that's tight or that doesn't fit at all and try that on every two weeks or so. Try it on. Um, for the ones who are brave enough, take the naked or like bathing suit photo. Even if you don't want to do it and you don't like it, you're the only one that ever has to seize it. You don't, you don't have to put it on social media, right. you know? <laughs> um, I think, I think sometimes those changes say more than the scale does. Like you can see it more so than the number that changes. Yeah. Especially as the inflammation is coming down. I think it's really apparent when you see before and after pictures, it's kind of like around their face and the neck and kind of along the sides. The Visually, face is a big one. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. But um, yeah, I, I think I think measurements are, are probably probably the um the, the best way to go. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, I, I agree with both of those. I think both of those are really wonderful and easy and accessible ways that people can track that. OK, so th we might have a little bit of crossover here um, with in your carb confusion. But when somebody is considering getting started on a low carbohydrate diet, what are your priorities? What what things do you say? This is the most important for right now. There's no stall. You haven't started yet. But what what are you seeking to accomplish in the beginning? So it depends on where somebody is starting from. Um, most people who ever come to see me are already doing a low carb or keto diet and just need help. But if somebody's brand new, there's, there's two ways to go and it just depends on what they want to do. I prefer the rip the bandaid off method. Just get rid of all the carbs, the starch, the sugar, all of it, just go into a very strict low carb or keto diet because that's the quickest way to get rid of the cravings and to start your body transitioning over to burning mostly fat is to just do like that um, cold turkey kind of thing. Um, some people just can't do that. You know, they try and they go back and they try and they go back. So, all right, let's do it more gradually. And maybe that will be easier for them to stick to. So some people it'll be like, all right, let's cut out, you know, for the first week or two, let's say no pasta and no bread. Still have your potatoes, your rice, your fruit, whatever, just no pasta and no bread. Two weeks later, let's take out something else, potatoes and corn or, you know, something like every every couple of weeks, you pull a few more things out and then um, they 
you know, they eventually land at, at very low carb or keto, but the process was more gradual. And for some people that makes it more doable. They just are not every time they try to go a hundred percent, it just fails every time. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it's really important to understand which one of those two things you fall into. I'm from from doing this for a long time. Like my nutrition coaching certification is a lot of of like behavioral type coaching, and it's a lot of like um, you know addressing addressing emotions and behavior changes and things like that. And I under, I understand that. I know that's a tool that needs to be used. But I can say just in my own experience, it seems like the more you get into the kind of emotional side of things. I think it's harder. I think it's harder for people to actually make any progress. To me, I'm kind of with you. I think it's more mechanical. I think like if you want to stop smoking, you don't put a cigarette in your mouth. We can talk about it, you know, like if we need six months or a year or two years of like therapy sessions to address it in your childhood, like, yeah, but at the end of the day, you don't put a cigarette in your mouth. I'm I'm kind of with you. I wish more people would just just do it. it. At the end of the day, you have to do it. I, I agree. And I, I definitely, that's, I prefer that method because doing it gradually just sort of perpetuates the, the addiction and the, cause a lot of it is addiction, not all of it, but like anyone who thinks sugar is not addictive has just not tried to give it up or has not tried, has not seen someone who is addicted, try to give it up, you know? Um, and I think for, for many people the eating the sweet stuff just makes you crave more and more. And the way to stop craving it is to stop doing it. And you, it is going to be rough for a day or two. It's going to be rough. You're going to have a toddler in your brain screaming out with a little tantrum and you just have to shut him or her up. <laughs> and the way you shut him up is with bacon, by the way. No, um, yes, yes. <laughs> um, if you're kosher, you shut him up with beef or something. I don't know. But um, I just think, you know, we, we say in end your carb confusion, something about like when you feed the craving, the, the craving beast, it doesn't get satisfied. It, it's not satisfied. And then it goes away. It keeps coming back to ask for more. So the way to starve it, the way to starve it and make it go away is to, to not feed it is to, is to kill it by starve it or not, but you know what I mean? Like it just, I, 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 I just think that is, that is harder. Yeah. Like it just, because it, it is, the psychological aspect of it and the emotional aspect is really important, but I think a lot of psychological and emotional is mistaken with the biological. It is an actual biological thing when your brain is crying out for sugar, when you're, you know, because all that lights up all the dopamine and serotonin circuitry. That's not, that's not a lie. That's not fiction. Like, your body physiologically, you want it. You have to break that dependence. Just, just like with cocaine or heroin. And I'm not comparing the two. I'm not one of those that's going to say like a sugar addiction is as bad as heroin. I really don't think it is, but um, maybe it is for some people. Yeah. But the some of that reward circuitry is the same. And you can't doing it gradually just prolongs that. I really, and, and and I think one of the things I hear the most, and you probably do too, again, not from everybody, but when you do that sort of like overnight, just jump in process, people are amazed at how quickly the cravings do go away and how, how easy it is. Again, maybe not on day one or day two, but pretty quickly, you just yeah. don't really 
need it. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think your brain will function better anyway and the tail end of it. And so you can address psychological issues when your brain's on keto. So that will go a lot easier. Um, and, and you're right. I think of it almost like a Mark Manson's writing of like fault and responsibility. Like, yeah, it's not your fault. This is a system that is very strong and powerful and is set up to make you be very, very hungry all the time and addicted to delicious, bright colored foods at the grocery store if and that's suggesting you're not grub hubbing three meals a day but it but now it's your responsibility now it is your responsibility it wasn't your fault but you need to take ownership here and i'm sorry but i I don't see a lot of that happening yeah yeah well there's there's there is a lot of addiction and this the kinds of food that cause the most problems are very very cheap compared to other stuff that you know, things that don't cause those problems. So it's, um, it's hard. And I, but I never, I I think you and I both are very understanding and empathetic. Like there's no blame. There's no, um, it's not easy. It's not easy to, to, you know, go against the grain literally and figuratively, but you know, if, if you're thinking, well, I just want to be like everyone else. Everyone else gets to eat these. Well, everyone else is really sick. They're sick. Have you have you looked around lately? Like, do you really want to eat like everybody else does? That's right. That's <laughs> so. right. No, I so much agree with that, and I really appreciate that. Um, so so okay. So somebody starts on the low carbohydrate diet. Let's say you know they're seeing good progress, and all of a sudden that progress is kind of slowing down. This is a time where I think it's it's really nice to diagnose a few things. Stall Slayer. How do we get past this? We mentioned some really basic things that you can do. What are some of those basic things in your mind? Well, when someone's on a low carb or ketogenic diet specifically, there's the two first things I look for are too many carbs. Like, have they gotten a little complacent about the carb intake? Maybe they just don't realize like, Ooh, I'm back to eating a lot more carbohydrate than I realized. And then the other is, um, the fat and nobody likes to hear that. But if you're having a hard time losing body fat on a low carb or keto diet, then your fat from your food is not unlimited. I I hate when people say keto is a high fat diet. Now, maybe it is for epilepsy. Maybe there are certain like medical applications where keto, you do have to have a particular ratio or something. For weight loss or diabetes and stuff like that, keto is not a high fat diet. What it really is, is a very low carb diet. You don't have to be like melting butter on everything and melting cheese on everything and having your macros and your percentages. Um, those are the two biggest things that I see happen are, um, too many carbs and too much fat. So that's, that's what I look at first. Yeah. I, I, those are two of the things that are very, very high up on my list. I like how Dr. Gary Fetke told us that he defines it now where he calls it just healthy fat, not high fat, low carbohydrate. And I thought that was totally fair. And it's, it's hard for people to understand because initially, like when somebody starts on low carb, I am totally fine with you eating a lot of high fat things. Like if you want to do the fat bombs, if you want to do tons of butter in the coffee, if you can, you know, eat tons of eggs and, and, you know, cooked in lots and lots of butter, like that, that's fine for me for now. If I can make you get really satiated and help you lose interest in the sugary carbohydrates, but, but that's a lever that has to come down eventually. 
And, and I remember, I'll, I'd never forget this. A, a client texted me um, one day early on when we were learning about this. And she was like, yeah, you know, last night I was under my fat macros. So I drank like four ounces of olive oil. And I was like, uh, mm, something might be, <laughs> might be wrong with that. With the carbohydrates too, you, you did mention like a lack of complacency, like a strictness initially, and then they kind of creep in. I wonder if you would agree with this. I think of it almost as two ways. Low carbohydrate could be a low amount of carbohydrates, but if that's like you're having like a Jolly Rancher like every 30 minutes and, you know, it's it's a low amount of carbohydrates, but it's really frequent and you're sending that carbohydrate signal too frequently, I think that can be just as much of a problem, if not more. Oh, that's that's huge. I, I don't I don't see too many people doing that, but it's um it's more like people are. And I first of all, I totally agree with you about if somebody's brand new to this. Or if they need a reset, if they're like kind of all over the map and they're trying to really get back to basics, I don't encourage calorie counting, macros, anything, even the fat, like just focus on keeping the carbs really low. And if that means you're eating a giant stick of salami or a giant thing of pepperoni, I don't care. Do it. Get get over the hump of just being without the carbs. Then we'll work on portions and stuff with those fattier foods. But like, yeah, I if you want to eat a bunch of cheese, now you have to understand you might not be losing weight in that initial period if that's what you're doing, but that's fine. Let's, this is a process. Let's get your body accustomed to being without the carbs and then we'll, we'll tweak things. So I, I totally agree. Um, but with the, what was the other thing about the. Well, just like fat, the, the frequency of the carbohydrate intake. Oh, right. Right. With the carbs. Um, it's, how do I, I think. What I see more is people being fooled by the marketing now. This is keto ice cream, the keto cereal, the keto granola. Some people can have that stuff and do fine. A lot of us can't. A lot of us are more sensitive to like the sugar alcohols or the filler, you know, the tapioca fiber, whatever they're putting in this stuff. Um, So some of us are eating a lot more carbohydrate than we realize because we're like, Oh, but it says keto. Well, so that's, that's what I see a lot more, I think. Um, and, and, and sometimes just a little bit like depending on somebody's life situation, you know, like some of the parents like, Oh, I just took the one thing off my kid's plate or the one thing from the desk at work. And you don't realize those little onesie twosies really build up over the day. They add up for sure. Yeah. The marketing thing is sad. I still remember the first time I saw, I, I want to say it was slim fast. It's slim fast fat bomb at, at Walmart. There was like $11 and, and I picked this up and it floated off into the atmosphere. It was so light. It was less than three ounces of total weight, six servings yeah. of like half an ounce each. Like, I don't care what that is. That is not going to fill you up. It's, it's funny. You should say that because look, full confession, everybody, Sometimes I look at those packages like, ooh, that looks so good. Like, ooh, maybe I should try that, you know, just as an experiment. Like, I should just, I'm the same way. Good thing I'm so cheap because I'll look at it like I'm not paying $9 for this two two ounce box of food. Like, that's ridiculous. So I'm, um, it's, it's good to be frugal in that regard yes. because 
I, I don't, I'm not going to spend that much money for something I probably shouldn't buy in the first place. That's right. How many eggs can you buy with that $9? It's so much better. Exactly. That's so much more delicious. Yeah. Uh, maybe I mean, now- that's two pounds of ground beef if it's on sale, right? Exactly. Exactly. No, that's so true. This is probably a good time. I'm glad you wrote about this to talk a little bit about those sweeteners. And some people say like swapping the sugar for a more healthy sweetener, stevia and those, those erythritols and all these other things. I have a certain opinion about that and I'm glad you wrote about it. Can you tell us what your opinion is on that? I have a very controversial stance on those things. Um, I So I, I don't give any blanket recommendations, but most people can do well with artificial sweeteners and some of the sugar alcohols, not all, some of the sugar alcohols do induce more of an effect on glucose and insulin than others, but artificial sweeteners are different. They're like, the molecules are completely different. There's just too many thousands upon thousands of people who have done great on low carb diets over the past 50 to 60 years while they use sweet and low, you know, saccharin, sucralose, aspartame, stevia, whatever. There are some people who are more sensitive. And so, and there are like, like for me, I put a pack of sweetener in my coffee every morning, but that sweet coffee does not induce more cravings. Like I have my coffee and I'm good for the day. I don't then crave a blueberry muffin an hour later or a donut. Like but there are some people who do. So if you're somebody out there who just that taste of sweet, even from like fake sweetener or from these sugar alcohols, if that induces cravings and you're, you have to battle that all day, then stay away from those. But I, I, I'm not convinced by the science regarding the safety of this stuff and the microbiome. That's a whole separate thing we could get into. I'm not convinced that any of this is all that big a deal. And that stuff the the fear mongering against this stuff is just going to be a, a a deal breaker for some people to even try this like if you tell me okay not only do i have to now give up my bread and my bagel my pasta my rice my fruit my bleh, and i can't have diet soda and i can't have splendid in my coffee and i can't have a sugar free thing they're not even going to try this and the reality is every keto doctor out there has tons of patients who drink diet soda and who puts Blenda in their coffee and who use sugar-free Jello or whatever, and they lose a hundred pounds and they reverse their type two diabetes and they do all the good things. So I'm sorry, that's way, way more than you probably wanted to know. Like no, that's if, if people out there prefer to not use that stuff, don't use it. You don't have to, but you can, if you want to, if you are happy with the results that you get. Yeah. If if you're using them and you're happy with how things are going, don't let the food police scare you. Yeah. And I think the the parameter that you said, the cravings, follow the cravings. Does this make you crave more food? Take it out. If not, you're probably going to be okay. It's 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 kind of like small pickings. It's not going to make that big of a difference in the big picture. So I, I really love and appreciate that explanation. So once we've addressed energy in the diet, either too much fat or either too much carbohydrate, what are some other things further down the list of basic things that might that people might not be aware of? Um there's so there's a whole chapter in that book, The Stall Slayer on thyroid. And my next book, actually, my my next book is not going to be a keto book at all. It's going to be about thyroid. Um, I'm on thyroid medicine myself. If there's 
anything in the world I'm more passionate about than low carb diets, it's thyroid. And so I, I see this a lot, probably because the, the people who come to me for help sort of like out of the box garden variety keto isn't working. So I have kind of a biased population that I'm working with because if, if keto was working well for them, they wouldn't contact me for help. So it's more likely that they're going to have some underlying hormonal issue. So I see it a lot on either undiagnosed hypothyroidism or improperly treated. So there's a ton of people out there. Maybe someone listening or watching is one of them who take Synthroid or, or Levothyroxine who still feel terrible. They have all their same signs and symptoms. They still can't lose weight, yet they're on thyroid medicine. And there's a lot of people who are told, oh, it's not your thyroid, your thyroid's normal. And if, if they read the book, they'll see the problem is that most doctors only check for like one or two hormones when they give you a thyroid test, when there's actually more like six or seven that they could be checking. And very, very often, in the one or two that they normally check, those could be normal, but one or the others is way off and it's just not a standard test. And I see this all the time and I'm not a doctor, so I can't diagnose anybody, but I can give them the information, Yeah, you know, but that's, I see that all the time. That's a huge roadblock to fat loss. Even if somebody is doing a strict keto diet and exercises, but I will say, um, and I know I'm very long winded. I'm sorry. Um, I, I, I know these people are sticking to the diet because they bring me their blood work. Everything looks good, right? Glucose and insulin are low. Triglycerides are low. The HDL is high. Everything looks good. They just can't lose weight. Mm. Very often the, the total cholesterol and LDL are elevated because that comes potentially from low thyroid. So when I see a pattern like that, then I, I either suspect thyroid or they already know, and they're on that level of thyroxine and it's not working. That That's so interesting. Um, I'm wondering, I've, I've heard this story before and I think there's a lot to it for sure. Um, when, when you're trying to get the right markers measured, is it terribly difficult for people to go to their doctor and say what things they want? I've heard that can be a huge hurdle. Unfortunately, most of the time with thyroid, it's a battle. And hopefully my my thyroid book, it's not going to be out till sometime next year, unfortunately, but um, hopefully that is going to change some minds in the medical world about this, but it is very difficult. It, they, they just weren't trained in, in this. And even, God bless them, even some endocrinologists who should be the specialists in this were trained in a very, very old, outdated paradigm. Mm. And um, the good news is in the U.S., it's a... You, this doesn't hold for other countries, but in the U.S., you can order your own labs, almost anything you want, without a doctor, except in New York, New Jersey, and Rhode Island. Wow. Any other state, there are several different websites where you can do your own labs. You can get a complete thyroid panel, and it's it's not even that pricey. It's worth every penny. The struggle then is once you have the test results to get your doctor to 
give you the right medication if you need some. Like it's so it's still a battle, but the testing at least you might be able to get done re- regardless of of your doctor. Yeah, that's good. Okay, well, uh, thank you for that. We're very much looking forward to your book. It seems to be a very complicated topic, and the more I learn about it, the more uh, I don't know why this surprises me, but the more I learn that I know nothing about it, absolutely nothing. And so we really appreciate all that research. Um, anything else um, as far as breaking through a stall? Anything else that that you find is like a kind of usual suspect? Yeah. So I guess going along with the fat, the sort of overdoing the fat for some people, and I don't want to like scare anyone. Some people seem to do well when they either cut out dairy or just cut out cheese. I was going to ask. And there's a lot of people out there who would say that it's it's something inherent to dairy itself, whether it's like inflammatory peptides or who knows what. Um, I don't know whether that's the bigger factor or just, uh, we all hate the C word, but the calories. If you stop eating cheese and you had previously been like binging on cheese or, you know, like having a big old block of cheese every couple of days um, or the heavy cream is another big one. And if you, or butter, and if you cut all of that out, well, was it the dairy itself or was it just that total amount of fat adding up? So I tell, I and nuts, I mean, oh my gosh, who couldn't pack away a whole bag of nuts and, 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 and not even be full, right? So um, that's, those are two easy things, like nuts and cheese to either eliminate altogether or one of the suggestions I give people is, to use them as a garnish. Like don't, don't sit down and make cheese your snack or meal. Like put a slice of cheese on a burger patty, sprinkle some cheese on your salad or on your chili or tacos or whatever. Uh, Don't make it the main event. Same thing with nuts. Like do not be sitting on the couch with the bag of almonds from Trader Joe's because you will be sorry. Yeah. Hand to mouth, hand to mouth syndrome. Um, If you know, Put, again, put some chopped nuts on your salad, sprinkle some on whatever as a garnish. Don't, don't make nuts your meal, you yeah. know, but, but for the people out there that are eating nuts and cheese and you're doing great, keep eating nuts and cheese. That's like right. this is only if, if you think they're a problem for you, but th- those are like the two biggest, I think. Yeah, I think so too. I, again, we should point out for the listener, like we are talking about a specific context here. So if these things are working for you, don't, don't change anything. Keep going. Like we're talking about the people that this is currently not working for. And those are foods that are on a short list that I agree. Nuts and seeds, I think can be okay initially, but over time probably need to reduce, you know, the dairy and the cheese thing, I think is another one. I think certain fruits, especially if you're like tracking apple in my fitness pal and you're eating two a day, but they're like softball size apples. When my fitness pal thinks it's maybe like a normal size apple, those, those types of things I tend to get really suspicious of over time. Yeah. And I, there's one, one biggie that I almost forgot about. Like when, you know, what else would I look at for a stall is meal timing, but everybody please hear me out. I'm not talking about intermittent fasting or time, uh, time restricted eating. I mean, more like eating by the clock. Oh, it's breakfast time, time to eat. It's lunchtime. Where are you eating because you're just accustomed to eating at that time of day? Or are you actually hungry? Like there are people. So Dr. Westman and I talk about in end your carb confusion Nobody has to do any kind of fasting, whether extended or intermittent, you know, eating windows. No, but 
most people end up skipping a meal here and there just because they're not hungry. They're not deliberately withholding food. They're not, oh, I'm not allowed to eat until 4 p.m. It's just, I'm simply not hungry. So even though it's lunchtime at my office or my kid is having lunch, I don't have to eat just because it's lunchtime if I'm not hungry. And that I do see that a lot. People are just so used to having three meals a day or snacks. And um, that w- one of the first questions I ask if somebody gives me a food log and there's breakfast, lunch, dinner, and it's it's fine to eat three meals, like that's totally fine. But I ask, are you actually hungry for three meals a day or are you eating that because you think you're supposed to? Yeah. That's that's a big one, I think. Huge one. Yeah, huge one. And this is why I won't talk to really anybody about any kind of time-restricted eating until they are more accustomed to a low-carbohydrate diet. Because if you tell somebody on the street, you're going to have to fast for four hours, like, good luck. Like People can't go a very short amount of time without taking a food if you're eating a standard American diet. But once you do this for a little while, that starts to open up as an option. And I'm, I'm yeah. totally okay with anything really inside of 24 hours, I think is safe for most people. And and I will sometimes tell people, like, if you want to see, pay attention to your hunger. And sure, you might even feel really hungry, but maybe, like, kick the can down the road 30 minutes. Like, go go on a walk for 30 minutes. If you're still hungry, go ahead and eat. But I think most people are really surprised to find that, like, that hunger kind of moves in a wave. It's not like you go twice the time and you're twice as hungry. You go three times the time, you're three times the hunger. You, it, it really just kind of comes and goes. And I think some people learn that, like, yeah, I thought I was hungry, but... I, I either it was you know a habit for me to eat breakfast at nine a.m. or like like just I'm I guess I got hungry but now I'm not hungry anymore. Yeah, that's um Jason Fong talks about that like like it ride the wave. Yeah, it's like you don't you don't just get hungry and hungry and hungry until you eat you know eat your arm or something. <laughs> um, that and that's that's what I do myself. Like I was saying earlier. I'll start to get hungry, but I'll be like, well, I'm hungry, but I'll wait 30 minutes. I'll wait an hour. Or like, I am hungry, but I could wait 30 minutes if I had, I could wait two hours if I had to. And it, because I think what what's different on a low carb diet, once your body is adjusted, is you're just, you're hungry, but you're not hangry. We don't get that irritability, that like murderous rage. You're just hungry. And it's a very like, man, I'm really hungry, but I'm not going to kill somebody like in 10 minutes. I could, I'll just wait an hour and I'll eat. Um, that's, I think, um, I, I don't know. I just, it's, it's almost like a pleasant feeling, like a very empty feeling in your stomach, but it's not, there's no urgency about it. It's just like, oh, I'm really hungry. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. It's, it's like feeling cold. You're just cold. And yeah, you'd rather not be cold, but it's just something that you feel and passes. And, and I notice the more I do this, that, that type of, that type of hunger is a type of like energy. You almost feel like that's a great time to do a workout because you're, you're kind of like a little sharper than you normally would be. And I think that makes a lot of sense if, if we consider evolution and, you know, we get hungry now it's time to go hunt and we need really good focus. So I think that's a really good point. Um, when we're talking about those, those, that weight loss contest stuff that we used to do, I, I told you we did the, the seminars in the beginning, the middle, we also do one in the end, which is like, okay, this thing is over. Now you have to go live the rest of your life. How do you want to live the rest of your life. So how do you address that with people that have maybe gotten past that stall and now it's time to just go and live their life? Can they reintroduce carbohydrates? Is it a good idea to go, you know, back to the standard American way of things? Like how, how do you transition people from, we got you the fat loss that you wanted. Now you're free to reintegrate into the world. What do you do? Yeah, this, this is a huge 
question because the the, <laughs> the analogy I've started using more recently is um, losing the weight is only half the battle or reversing your diabetes, reversing your PCOS, whatever you're doing this for. That's only half the battle. Keeping it off or ma- maintaining your, your better health for life is, is the second half. And so the analogy I've been using is when people climb Mount Everest, more people, most, so a lot of people die in the process of climbing Mount Everest. A lot of people die. Most people don't die on the way up. They make it to the summit just fine. They die on the way back down. So don't become a statistic. Don't become a weight regain statistic. Like you want to keep it off. You want to come down the mountain and get back home safely. (laughs) So, um, I, I, in enter carb confusion, we have three levels of carbohydrate intake. And we talk that the first level is a very strict ketogenic diet. And then we talk about how, when, and why to start increasing your carbs. If you want to, not everybody has to, but if you want to, you know, some people will either start increasing and eat a slightly higher carb diet all the time. That's their normal thing. Some people might just like stay keto, you know, 90% of the time, but at the birthday party, they do have the piece of cake or at, you know, their anniversary, they do go to the restaurant and order whatever they want. And I think that is fine, but it is a slippery slope. You know, there's some people start out that way. And then that, you know, once a month or once every eight weeks thing becomes once a week and then three times a week. And then before you know it, you've regained 20 pounds. So it's, you, you have to know how you're wired, whether or not you're going to, um, introduce, you know, reintroduce more carbs at all or how often. And, um, I, I just think it's, it's mental too, because you, if you are going to do this for life, whether keto, low carb, some variation of carbohydrate reduction, you are going to have special occasions. There are going to be parties. There are going to be holidays. Are you, how are you going to handle that? And if, if you choose to have whatever you want, choose it. But give yourself that permission. Don't don't do it. And then the next day, I can't believe I ate that. Oh my God, I ruined it. No, you're a grown adult. You made a choice to eat the donut or eat the wedding cake, eat whatever. And you just get right back to normal the next day. Don't let the one day or the one meal become like a six-week bender. Yeah. That's that's the risk there, really. Yeah, totally. Last time we talked about the holidays, and I love how you guys say it's a it's a holiday. Make it a holiday, not a holiday two months. Like, yeah, if you look at the holidays, yeah. there's maybe four or five parties and big dinners you're going to. Those are individual meals. That isn't even the whole day. And if you treat those as such and allow yourself some grace and whatever you want to do there, but yes, get back on as soon as you can. I think that's one wonderful advice. And so much of this conversation has come back to really get to know yourself. How, how are you going to react? I've seen, I've seen it go both ways. I've seen some people able to moderate things a little bit better. And I've seen other people give away, you know, several hundred pound weight losses because they gave in and they couldn't stop. Once they gave in, they worked so hard to get those sweet tastes out of their diet. They brought them back in and they went right back to where they were. So really, really tough, but I do think you're right. I think it's so important to know yourself and know which one of those two people you are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I look, I'll, I'll fully confess. I never, I'm always honest with, with my clients and with people who follow me. I, um, 
I very rarely crave carbs anymore. I just, I just, it's not a big deal, but once in a while I see something and it's like, Oh, you know, and maybe twice a year I eat ice cream. I get the real thing. Thank you. I get the good stuff. I'm going to polish off the whole pint in probably two days. And then I don't do it again for six months, (laughs) you know, and I do, I do. I play the head games with myself too, but I've, I've been eating low carb for so long. This is so, this is more normal for me than abnormal. This like, so the ice cream, it's like a little blip on, on the radar. It barely registers. So, um, but you know, I don't have diabetes. I'm not trying to lose a hundred pounds. So, um, but yeah, it's not, I'm, I'm no longer in a place where that is a slippery slope for me. I can have the thing and then it's over. Um, but not everybody, but I, I would rather do that than have the fake keto ice cream filled with all kinds of stuff. It's not even good. And it costs triple the price of the regular stuff and have that like every week or every month. I'd rather have the good stuff, go hog wild on it two or three times a year. And that's it. Make it count. Don't waste it on a sleeve of Oreos. Have that good homemade cookie if you want it. Or yeah, do the real ice cream. I totally agree with that. Let it hit the spot because the other stuff will not. And yeah, I think that's wonderful advice. This has been such an amazing conversation. I really appreciate catching up with you. Where do you want people to go to find you and connect with you and your work? Um, so they, the stall book they can find at stallslayer.com. And there's a tab there that says work with me. I am doing consultations again. So if people cool. want a private consultation and, um, I have a YouTube channel, but the channel name is to it nutrition and I'm on Twitter. That's my handle to it nutrition. And I recently changed up all my Patreon tiers. So, um, if, if people, I do weekly live calls and stuff like that, um, you know, ask me anything type things and, um, you know, exclusive content for the patrons. So it's a uh, patreon.com slash to it nutrition. And, um, one more tiny plug. I do work with Dr. Westman where we make online courses. We have courses on keto. We have courses on cholesterol. There's one on sugar and food addiction. And that the website is really long. It's adaptyourlifeacademy.com. Awesome. So we, will link, places. we will link to all of that in the show notes. Amy Berger, it is always such a pleasure to catch up with you. I always learn something new. We covered a lot of ground today, and I hope this is really helpful for the listeners. So thank you so very much for everything you do and taking the time to be on our show today. We really appreciate you. Sure. Thank you. Absolutely. And this has been another episode of Balanced Body Radio. As always, thank you so very much for listening to and supporting Boundless Body Radio. It has been such a joy to go on this journey now that it's been two years of doing these episodes and all the amazing conversations that we've had with thought leaders and to be able to share this message around the world with literally hundreds of thousands of people has been so amazing. If you haven't already, please go over to Apple, leave us a rating and review as it's the best way for the show to continue to grow and touch more lives of people out there. I am so excited to announce that we are launching the Boundless Body Radio Premium 
podcast. This is something that I have been working really hard at for a very long time and something I am very proud of. Now that we have done over 300 episodes, our content can be a little bit overwhelming if you really want to learn about one particular topic and really zero in on that topic. So that is exactly what I have done. I have gone through all of our episodes, taken the very best clips all about one particular topic and put them into long form very informative and concise episodes called the Boundless Body Radio Premium Podcast. That can be found on our brand new Patreon page, which I'm really excited to announce as we have all kinds of different offers there and different tiers. We're including early releases of our show, Boundless Body Radio. We typically keep about 15 to 20 episodes scheduled at any given time. So we have options there where you can have early access to those. We are also offering group and one-on-one coaching and also access to these premium podcast episodes, the Balanced Body Radio Premium Podcast. We have three that are launching right now, and I will be making a new one every other week. And we believe that we are providing these for a very, very high value. So please check us out on Patreon, check the link in the notes to be able to get there. And thank you as always for listening to Balanced Body Radio.